Yeah, that's right. The Advent wreath. Hey, Junior Church, if you're going down to Junior Church, come up here first. We're going to light the Advent wreath this morning. Yep. And Charlie, could I ask you to read a verse here for me in just a second? Would you be willing to do that when I tell you to? Okay. First question for you kids, though, this morning is, have you ever broken anything? Yes, I know you have. I broke my pinky. (laughs) I have broken some things in my life. I remember once um, I had my mom bought a collection of cups at a yard sale that featured a number of states. The state, it was a glass cup. And I had a bad habit of walking into the kitchen and tossing things into the sink that were dirty. You do that? (laughs) I thought I was the only one. I remember one morning I had had a cup of orange juice, and it was in the New Hampshire cup. And I remember I liked the New Hampshire cup because it had a big prominent bear on it, and there was somebody skiing, and I liked to look at the pictures on it while I was drinking. But when I was done with my orange juice, I went into the kitchen And I took a couple steps in, and then I just kind of lobbed it into the sink. And guess what happened to that glass cup? It broke into like a thousand pieces. I didn't cry, but I was filled with a great fear of my mom. And I wasn't afraid of my dad. I was afraid of my mom. She was scary. (laughs) But... Um, I did my best to fish all the pieces out of the sink, and I tried to hide them. But when my mom went to go do the dishes later that day, she found some broken pieces of glass, and she asked me about it. And I did tell the truth. I did tell the truth. I broke the cup. Well, I told the truth kind of. (laughs) I said I broke the cup, but I also told a little bit of a fib. I said that the cup was already in the sink, and I threw a plastic cup in, and the, which made me look more reasonable, but was still wrong. I lied about that. Mom, if you're listening to this sermon from Vermont, I did break by tossing the glass cup directly into the sink. Sometimes she listens. Guys, why, the reason why I wanted to talk to you about breaking the cup is because when, do you guys know the story of when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden? Yes, they sinned. And when they sinned, what was the sin they committed? What did they do? Clara? They ate the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. That's right. And when they ate that fruit, there was a great peace was broken into all these jagged little nasty pieces. Man, Adam and Eve had lived in perfect peace with God. And when they broke his law, they broke that peace. And they lived in perfect peace with each other. And when they broke that law, it hasn't been the same between human beings since. We're not at perfect peace with each other anymore. And they broke the peace with creation. And now there are things like diseases and all kinds of horrible things in the world. We don't even live at peace with the world that we live in. And we don't even live at peace with ourselves. Have you guys ever felt fear? What about 
anxiety. Do you guys ever feel anxious? You don't know what anxiety means? I hope you never do. That's a great thing. I Live in ignorance of anxiety as long as you can. That's wonderful. Uh, it means basically like worrying. You know, if you ever if you're worried, yeah. Yeah. So, guys, we live in the midst of all this great brokenness. And on the backdrop of all that shattered peace, on a dark night, years and years and years ago, angels appeared to a group of shepherds and they said, We bring you great news, news of, I'm sorry, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There is born to you this day in Bethlehem a Savior. And then they sang a song, and they sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace on those on on whom God's favor rests. Guys, Jesus came to restore the peace that we as human beings knew in the garden. And so when we come to the candle of peace, what we are celebrating is the peace that was born at Christmas. Now, Charlie, I gave you a verse. I want you to read it. I'm going to do my best to give you my microphone. Okay. Is Isaiah the... You, I, did you say, say the verse? Just go ahead and read the words. Okay. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Now we come to the peace candle. Now, guys, last week, do you guys, who, who remembers the candle that we lit last week? Um, that one. It was this one? Oh, no, but do you remember what it signified, what it represented? Hope. 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 Very good. All right. All right, now, Charlie, I'm going to ask you this morning. We'll do somebody different every week. Come on up here. You can take that. And I want you to light this one. Good job. Okay. Guys, thank you. Let's, let's pray before I send you down to junior church. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the peace, the Prince of Peace that came into the world to restore the peace that we knew with you in the garden. God, we have sure made an awful mess of the world that you gave us. But Father, we thank you that you're putting the pieces back together even now through the church and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, go get it. I just hope someday they run into church the way they run out of here to go down to junior church. We're here! All right, well, our our text for this morning, we're going to be spending time in a couple different texts, but the first one is in Luke chapter 2, that very famous text where the angels do appear to the shepherds. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
Uh, There are so many words in here uh, for us to dwell upon and think about their significance. But this morning, um, with the second Sunday of Advent, let's just focus on this word peace. What a glorious word. On the night when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds, proclaiming this good news of great joy. A Savior had come into the world, and the result of his coming for all who put their trust in him for salvation would be peace. The prophet Isaiah had foretold Jesus' coming into the world, calling him the Prince of Peace. And saying of him in Isaiah 53, 5, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, he would be crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that would bring us peace would be on him, and by his wounds we would be healed. At the center of Christianity is the joyous reality of good news. The Christian message is, at its core, a happy and hopeful one. However, we have to own that it's true that before there can be good news, there must first be bad news. And the bad news, which makes the good news that the angels proclaimed on that long ago Christmas night so sweet, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. What we've all earned and deserved is wrath and punishment. Fallen humanity does not have a sin problem so much as we have a God problem. Man's sinfulness is only a problem because God is holy, holy, holy. He hates sin. He cannot look on sin. And apart from Christ, we are sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says of God, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Hebrews 10.12 describes him as a perfect consuming fire of righteousness. And for sinners like us, we're told in Hebrews 10, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, One of my favorite illustrations to use on this point, and I think I've done it from up here before, is if you were hiking in the mountains and there was a sudden terrible storm so bad that you thought if you remained outside you might die. You're looking for refuge, and the only refuge you could find was the opening of a cave. So you went into the cave, and you're so filled with adrenaline that it took a couple minutes for it to sink in, but after you were sitting there, you started to smell something. And so you fished a flashlight out of your backpack And as you were doing this, the smell, some awful smell is filling the cave, and you turn around and you shine the beam of the flashlight into the back of the cave, and there you see the beady eyes of a bear. And crouching down between the bear's paws is a baby bear. Now in that moment... That smell filling the cave is the smell of death, is it not? It is the smell of a dread fear. But what about for the baby bear? That same smell is the smell of mom, food, protection. Everything that's right and good in the world is wrapped up in that smell. So here's what we need to know about God. 
he's not safe, but you can be safe. (laughs) We are all rebels against the throne unless we become baby bears, unless we become children of the king. God is a horrifying reality unless he is for you. And what Jesus, and when the, angel, the angels appeared to the shepherds, what they felt was fear. There's a bear. And what the angel said is fear not. The dynamic between you and God no longer has to be that way. God does not represent the certainty of judgment and wrath and the choice is yours. If you will not have Jesus as a savior, you can only have him as a judge. If you will not have God as your dad, you can only have him as a bear. And that's it. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Until the angels proclaimed peace. Peace can be yours this Christmas. The amazing Christmas truth that the angels proclaimed to the awestruck shepherds on that long ago night was that rather than coming with the wrath and punishing judgment that all of us rebels against the throne deserved, Jesus came proclaiming peace, a peace that was achieved when God became sin in our place in order that we might become the righteousness of Christ. He became a son of man in order, that, in order to make us children of God. He came that we might be saved from God, by God, and for God. God is a peace-loving and peace-making God. The whole history of redemption that climaxed in the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan to bring about a just and lasting peace between rebellious man and himself. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are three things, I think, that are critical for Christians to understand about this peace, the Christmas peace that we celebrate. And I'll tell you all three up front, just because I know some of you are note takers and it helps you to parse it out, the message. It also helps you know how soon are we to being done. (laughs) So the first thing I want us to understand about the peace that the angels proclaimed is that peace comes through surrender. We're going to talk about that in just a second. The second thing to understand is that being put at peace with God will bring you into conflict with the world. And the third thing that we need to know about the peace that the angels proclaimed is that it makes of us peacemakers ourselves. We'll come back to all, let me go through these three points quickly. Uh, Do you remember the scene um, from Matthew's gospel? Matthew and Luke are the two who lay out for us a Christmas account. Um, In Matthew's gospel, we get the wise men and Herod, and in Luke, it's mostly focused on the shepherds and Mary. Um, But in Matthew's account, we're told that when the Magi came into Jerusalem proclaiming, where is he who has been born king of the Jews, that it says that Herod's heart was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
That word for troubled in Matthew's gospel account is terasso, and it means to be shaken violently. I, I, I like to think of like a snow globe here at Christmas time. If you just took a snow globe and gave it a good shake, that's Herod's heart when they came and said this. His whole inner world is sent into this topsy-turvy, roiling turmoil. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? He's troubled. Why? Because he's the king of the Jews. Of course. And he's a tyrannical dictator. What he felt was the opposite of peace. I will say this, though, about Herod. Say what you will. Um, At least his response to Jesus' claims made sense. (laughs) Truly, they they did. There's a, a logical consistency in Herod. I understand the person who hears Jesus' radical claims on their life and hates them, disagrees with them violently, says, no, I will murder that. That makes sense. I also understand the person who embraces it wholeheartedly and becomes very enthusiastic and excited about the reality of Jesus and what's on offer in the gospel. What I don't understand is the person who hears these things and yawns. They do not understand what they're looking at. They have not yet come to grasp the reality of the story that they're living in, the ultimate reality of God, who Jesus is, the kingdom. These things, if we can look at them and yawn, we don't yet understand what it is that we're looking at, I believe. Herod, however, let's give him credit, understood and responded in a way that makes sense. Jesus, the claims that he makes call for a bending of the knee or a declaration of war. And anything in between just doesn't make sense, I don't believe. But when the angelic choir proclaimed peace to the shepherds, they were not declaring peace with a man named Herod. They were not calling for a ceasefire of sorts. There is no ceasefire between truth and error. There will never be a summit where God and rebellious man iron out their differences and agree to disagree. There is no peace based on a power-sharing agreement. There is no such thing. No, the peace that the angels proclaimed was born out of the total and absolute victory of truth over error on the cross. Peace is rooted in surrender, not some sort of agreement. And so we need to see as this foundational starting point, fellow Christian, that peace with God comes first through surrendering to God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Uh, Every culture has their celebrations, their words that don't make sense in other cultures. Like take our, I, always, I use this example when I talk about this text. If we, if we as Americans, when we use the phrase Super Bowl, you automatically understand what we're talking about. You mention, a, you think of stadiums and chips and dip and the TV and friends gathered around, wings, pizza, football, helmets, pads. We have all these things that instantly pop into our mind whenever we hear the word Super Bowl, but if you took those words Super Bowl to another culture that had no idea of those things, 
it literally translates like a large receptacle. That's, that's the only thing that it would conjure. A Super Bowl is this some amazing receptacle. No. When Paul mentions triumphal procession, he is speaking to us something that would have conjured similar word pictures in the minds of the first century audience that Super Bowl conjures in ours. A triumphal procession was a military parade, literally a Roman military parade. It was when Rome had so thoroughly defeated an enemy that the armies could come home and they would parade through the streets the spoils of their victory. The conquered king would be led through the streets of Rome. All kinds of exotic foreign animals and treasures from the conquered kingdom would be paraded through the streets of Rome. This is what a triumphal procession was. So when Paul says, God leads me in triumphal procession, he is in fact celebrating his defeat. He is saying, I have been conquered and I'm now being led by the conquerors in literally in chains, Paul's, in Paul's example, through the ancient Roman, Greco-Roman world. He is saying that he regarded himself as a trophy of God's victorious conquering power in Christ. He's celebrating the fact that he's been conquered. His, he was celebrating his defeat. So I come back to this idea that peace with God is rooted in surrendering to God. C.S. Lewis once said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Every Christian and follower of God was formerly at some point a rebel against that same God. And the gracious, merciful thing that God has done for each and every one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus today, is that he defeated you in your rebellion. And he brought you home through an act of conquest. <laughs> he has conquered me with his love and his grace. And we've been captured by the love and grace of Jesus. And we celebrate our defeat. So that's the first thing I want us to see about this peace that they proclaimed. First of all, it's a peace with God. That's what, they, that's what was proclaimed. And it's a peace rooted, at least in our experience of it, beginning in surrender to it. To God. The second thing, though, we must um, be, um, say about this peace is that being put at peace with God will put us in conflict with the world. And this is the clear and oft-repeated truth of the Bible. The Bible makes this point numerous times in numerous passages. I think one of the most pointed ones is where Paul, uh, I'm sorry, where Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? Yeah, I say that. <laughs> Isn't that what the shepherd said? But then he continues on, no, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's a strangely militant way for the Prince of Peace to talk, is it not? In a parallel passage in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 20, 
Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace? No, but a sword. The peace, so we, so it is a really important thing to understand, I think, that being put at peace with God will put us in conflict with the fallen world. The peace that the angelic choir proclaimed was again between God and those who accept Jesus as their peace offering. This again is a scripture, uh, a point that's made throughout scripture in so many verses. Let me just go through a few of them. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Colossians 1 says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came into the world to bring, bring peace between fallen sinners and God through, the, through God the Father through his atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. That is the great central message of Christianity and Christmas, that Jesus took our place. That's what substitutionary means. On the cross. But in Luke 12 51, Jesus reminds his disciples that the, his gospel will not be met with peace and agreement wherever it goes. Uh, in our own culture, this is one thing I love about America and being in, in America at Christmas time. Uh, Christmas really is kind of this time of year where there exists a special sense of brotherhood and generosity. There's a, a high emphasis on peace and goodwill among men. And it really is that way in my experience coming up in the United States of America. I think Christmas is a special time of year here in the United States. And I don't just mean that in the church. I mean that in the streets of the town where I live and in the school when I grew up. I just loved Christmas. There was an emphasis on things that seemed wholesome and good and right, and I liked it. But even, guys, but even the best of seasons is still just a season at best. It's just temporary. It's a time. And there is no expectation that the Christmas spirit will continue the rest of the year, much less into eternity. But the Christian looks on Christmas differently. The Christian views Christmas as a promise of a future peace and not necessarily a present one. The world looks on Christmas as this temporary season of peace, but the Christian understands that the shattered peace of these present days is what is temporary, and because Jesus came into the world because of Christmas, we have a confident expectation of a coming day when we will enter into an eternal peace and when the brokenness caused by sin will be done away with. On that day, we will share in the crown of our Lord, but in these days, we share in his cross. So I think the culture looks on Christmas as just this temporary, great, wonderful season. Enjoy it while you can, 
but it's not lasting. But we as Christians look on this present as what's broken, and we look forward to a lasting peace that was coming in eternity. That's what we celebrate, I hope. And this is why Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace. He doesn't want you to be surprised that when you embrace him, that you must let go of the world. And that when you step out from underneath the wrath of God, you may step directly into the wrath of others. The world is full of so many billions of little Herods. Men and women who sit on the thrones of their own hearts. And they plot murder against anything that has the unmitigated gall to proclaim that they have a more natural, rightful claim to that throne. Jesus was born not just king of the Jews. He was born king of Josh Tate. There's a throne in my heart. There's a throne in yours. And Jesus is meant to be king and lord there. But like so many billions of little Herods, when they hear the claim, the radical claims that Jesus makes upon humanity, each of us personally, their hearts are troubled by those claims. So long as one person believes and another does not, so long as one decides to continue in error and another desires to walk in the truth, so long as one desires to keep his sins, but another strives to give his up, the result of the preaching and living and example of the gospel as it is borne out in each of our lives will always inevitably bring separation, division from the world. The gospel demands a response from those who witness it and grasp it truly. And, I, and we should always be ready to be associated with Jesus, whatever comes of that. Something I want to add here as a necessary corrective. I don't want anyone to hear me in these words say that Christians now have license to be contentious, uh, to bring the fight <laughs> to family gatherings this Christmas, to be rude and insensitive uh, to in some way belittle people who don't see things as, as you've come to see them. I am not saying that. There's a necessary corrective here, uh, just to make it very clear that Christians should never be thoughtlessly offensive, crude, or abrasive. Paul says in Colossians 4, for example, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And in 1 Peter 3.15, we are told to talk about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus with nonbelievers with gentleness and respect. So know that peace only comes through surrender. That sometimes when we embrace Christ, it will involve um, entering into conflict with the world. But the church should never strive to take the brokenness of this world and encourage it to heal in a misshapen way. We should never make our peace with error or wickedness. 
but we should contend with those who have embraced error or who are enslaved to it with gentleness and respect in order that they might be delivered and know a true, lasting peace with God, which is built upon the triumph of truth, not the compromise of it. If you set out truly to follow Christ, you can depend on it that some in the world will not speak well of you. But remember the scripture that says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So guys, if you're counting along in your notes, those are points one and two. We're almost done. Point one, just to again, is peace with God is rooted in surrender to him. Second thing to know about the peace is that when we are put at peace with God, it, it may bring us into conflict with the world. And the last thing we should know about this peace is that it makes peacemakers out of all those who have embraced the peace that's on offer in Jesus. Now, do you remember when we studied the Beatitudes? Of course, you all do. No. Matthew 5, 9, one of the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Uh, Just think about that with me for a second. They shall be called sons of God. I think there what's possibly one part of the picture that God is, that Jesus is painting for us and using these words, that people who are peacemakers are sons, children, is that they share in the family resemblance with their father. There's a spiritual likeness there. There's a a similarness. Jesus is the prince of peace. He came into the world to make peace. The great story that we're living in is God's plan to redeem fallen man, to reconcile us to him who were at odds, who were enemies, rebels against the throne. He came to make peace with us. And so a son is somebody who shares that same mission, that same spiritual likeness, those same passions. It's the mark of the family of God that we also are peacemakers and we make reconciling man to God the great central mission of our lives and that we live that out in one another by pursuing peace with one another. I think the key to understanding this is that only once we have surrendered to the conquering love of Jesus and once we have celebrated that defeat, can we then be peacemakers in our relationships with others. If you never surrendered to God, not truly, and I mean unconditionally surrendered, where you just said, I give up, you're my Lord. I'm not fighting you anymore. If you said... If you have said, in fact, to him, I need salvation, but I'm going to continue to be Lord over my finances. Don't tell me what to do with my money, God. Don't tell me what to do with my days off. Don't tell me what to do in my marriage. Don't don't tell me what to do in this, that, or the other. You're going to have a hard time being a peacemaker, and I'll tell you why. Peacemakers are people who are not always looking at everything in terms of the effect that it has on them. An unconquered person who has never surrendered to Jesus and whose heart has never been occupied by the Holy Spirit will be full of self-interested passions, 
self-interested plans and self-interested outrage. And when their self-interested passions and plans and outrage collide with those of others, what results is war. James says in his gospel, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And that's all just the stuff of self-interested behavior. And what James is describing there with this kind of language is not a people who have surrendered and submitted to God, but who remain little Herods. They remain on the throne. They consider themselves a client king or queen to the great king Jesus, perhaps, but they still exercise some sovereignty over themselves. They're petty kings and queens, not sons and daughters. They're the main character in a story that centers and terminates upon them, so they don't make peace, they make war. Peacemakers have to first and foremost understand that they represent the interests of a king, like an ambassador, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. That's what we are. However, the Christian cheerfully proclaims, I am not my own, I was bought at a price. Christians have surrendered, and so they no longer represent themselves in their dealings with others, but now they represent the interests and goals of the one who conquered them. Their own small agendas have been replaced with the interests of the kingdom. And this is at the core of what it means to be a peacemaker in our relationships with one another. The heart of the peacemaker resonates with verses like Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, I've been a fan of the Washington, I guess they're called the commanders now, my whole life. I've tried to stop loving them and I can't. I've done my best, guys. And every year, at some point, there is some inter-locker room quarrel that breaks out into the press. This receiver doesn't like the quarterback, or these two people don't talk to each other at practice, and it's boiling over, they say, onto the field, and it's affecting the performance of the team. And I just go, guys, <laughs> please... Please just play together for me. <laughs> please, please put winning above whatever your little issue is. Please, please, please bring us a couple, string together a couple wins. Now, that's a very poor illustration for what I'm about to say because it's just very poor. My, it, yeah, it's not a good illustration. But I will say this. When I look at the church at its worst, and we've, if you've been a part of the church for a long time and you're still here, praise God. Um, the fallenness that exists in the world is in, still in us to some measure. We're still struggling to put off the old man. And sometimes even here among us, we fall into disputes and things every once in a while. But I think what's the hopeful thing that I see in these verses is there exists the possibility for us to stop 
acting self-interestedly and act in the interests of the kingdom. I think that this is where peaceful unity within the church comes from, is me saying, I'm not the main character. And for the sake of Christ, for the cause of his kingdom, I'm going to stop demanding that everybody pay me my due as a little Herod. And for the glory of my king who conquered me, I'm going to live in service to him. Uh, I think that uh, just God's people function best when we all have that mature perspective. Where this life, this whole endeavor that we're invested in together is not a drama that terminates on me. It's all about our God. This is the last thing I'll say. Uh, The shepherds who heard this great declaration of peace from God Almighty. There is peace. I come bringing peace, a lamb, not a lion. We're told there, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Twice there were told that they became proclaimers of peace. They made known the saying, and they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And it says that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Guys, remember the words of Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God's plan A to reach this world with the wonderful truth of the peace that was born at Christmas is his church opening their mouths and proclaiming it. And there is no plan B. State Road, if we are not vocal about the good news of the gospel... If we do not proclaim to the dying a wonderful life notification, then we are irrelevant as a church, and God will raise up another. He won't be defeated, he won't be thwarted, but we'll miss out on the river of blessings that come with going with him in the doing of that. These shepherds heard a wonderful truth. And the Bible shows us that they then became proclaimers of that truth. They heard about the peace, and then they became invested in the effort of becoming peacemakers. Reconciling other rebels to the throne. And I'll just restate the challenge. I think that that's something we can do, or he'll raise up another church. Either way, the message will go out. And I want to be with him in the doing of it. I know you do too. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to come home to you. God, we broke, we broke it. We broke everything. We're the offenders. You're the offended party. 
and how foolish. God, you're almighty God. What a person for humanity to pick a fight with. God, we can't possibly win. We're lost and we're hopeless. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have nothing to justify ourselves. We have no defense. God, what amazing grace you've shown to us. God, we earned, we deserved your wrath. But when you came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, you came proclaiming peace. So, Father, I pray that for me and my friends, we would not be little Herods. God, we would surrender totally. And we would know the peace that comes through surrendering to you, through obedience. And, Father, if embracing you invites conflict with the world, so be it. God, so be it. Yet a little while, and the coming one is coming and will not delay but my righteous one shall live by faith, you say. You say in Hebrews 10, God. And if he shrinks back, you say, my soul has no pleasure in him. But God, here at State Road, I pray that we would not be of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. But God, in these days, as we live in the joyous peace that was born at Christmas, God, I pray that we would not just hoard that little, that great blessing, that we would not just enjoy it personally. God, we would not be a, a reservoir of your blessings, but a conduit. God, that the hope you have given us would flow out to others, that we would be busy proclaiming peace, the peace of the gospel to those who remain far off. Father, man is your method. We're your means for all kinds of good things. And so, Father, we know that we can join you in it, or you'll call up others who will. But, Father, I pray that you'd stir it within our hearts, that you'd lead us by our desires into this great work. Give us a heart's passion for it. Open our mouths, God, and cause us to proclaim, as the shepherds did, all that we had heard concerning this child Jesus born in Bethlehem. In Jesus' name, amen.